0: The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Long Day's Journey Into Night by Chinese filmmaker B. Gan. An official selection of the 56th New York Film Festival that culminates in a single hour-long 3D shot. Long Day's Journey Into Night comes to theaters April 12th.
1: From the director of Gomorrah comes Dogman, a sly crime thriller that won the Best Actor Award at the 2018 Cannes Film Festival. The Guardian calls it a movie with an incomparable bite and strength. Opens Friday, April 12th in New York and Los Angeles.
2: Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the editor in chief of Film Comment. The 48th edition of the New Directors New Films Festival wrapped up last week, opening with the film Clemency and closing with the equally hard hitting drama Share. During the festival, the Film Society of Lincoln Center also held its Industry Academy, welcoming a new generation of film professionals. For our latest episode, I brought together a few Industry Academy attendees to talk about highlights in the New Directors New Films lineup. I was joined by Rosa Morales of SF Film in San Francisco, Sebastian Rea of 30 Under 30, and Abby Sun of the True Falls Film Fest. It's a great look at some of the festival's boundary-pushing work, as well as the issues raised by the films. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nick Repold. I'm the editor in chief of Film Comment, and this is our special New Directors, New Films edition. Uh, 2019 has another very rich selection, so there's plenty to talk about. And I thought I'd tap a brain trust that we have here currently, in the form of the Industry Academy. Uh, that also is going on during New Directors, New Films. So we have plenty of guests from across the industry and across the country. Uh, So I will let them introduce themselves, our three guests, starting with...
3: My name is Rosa Morales. I am the Development and Membership Coordinator at SF Film, and a participant in the 2019 Industry Academy.
4: And? Hi, I'm Sebastian Rea, and I am the founder of the 30 Under 30 Film Festival here in New York City.
3: And
5: I'm Abby Sun. I'm a programmer at True Falls Film Fest, which is based in Columbia, Missouri. And I'm also a sometimes contributor to Film Comment.
2: And uh, Abby actually has a review in our current issue of Ash is Purest White. I encourage you to see the movie and read the review or read the review and see the movie. It's beautiful. Thank you.
5: <laughs> the movie that is not my review.
2: I would say the review is, is pretty is pretty good as well. So well, without further ado, uh, you know we're just going to talk about movies we've seen during the festival, uh, and maybe sometimes before the festival because the, it draws on a number of other festivals like Sundance, Cannes, uh, Venice. I think Toronto and you know Locarno has a good uh, representation here. Uh, all assembled into a choice selection of. Some of the foremost new directors, but I guess we'll be the judges of that. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll probably be talking about just about movies we like. And I thought it'd be good to start at the beginning because uh, it's certainly a movie that I think kind of left people staggering in a good way (laughs) out of the theater Uh, and that is Clemency the opening night film which uh, I'd seen at Sundance but I think uh, where where did everyone else see it here here at the festival
5: yeah we saw it opening night
2: oh great so I mean how how did what did you think of it
3: I personally really really liked it um I think it's definitely um led by Alfre Woodard's incredible performance. If I can just like dive right into oh, the yeah. plot of it. Um, but like a brief summary, it follows Bernadine as played by Alfre Woodard. And she is a warden in a prison that conducts um, executions for prisoners on death row. And it starts with her seeing kind of like a an execution go wrong and it's botched and it like really affects her emotionally. And then it transitions into, um, the next execution that she has to conduct, um, or oversee anyway. And there is like a sense that maybe the prisoner that is, um, that is going to be executed hasn't committed the crime that he's convicted for. Um, and it really shows the damages of this systemic oppression for, people on all sides of the legal system including um, the prisoner and the warden but I I loved her performance and I personally really liked I feel like women of color are often depicted as caregivers in film and I really appreciated that she was she's a woman of color but is in a leadership position that like has no caregiver responsibilities in the other on the other hand it's a complete contrast to that she's essentially taking away life. Um, so I thought that was interesting.
2: Yeah.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think what's really remarkable about this film is the control that's evidenced, not only by all of the actors, because I think essentially the the arc of um, Bernadine uh, in the film is kind of all of this internal turmoil kind of manifesting in the external world in different ways whether it's her marriage which is falling apart or in her um, her composure or even in in her facial expressions, but also just in terms of the control of the filmmaking itself um, with the director Chinoni Chukru also the writer of the film everything is is beautifully shot um, very well thought out I think the script takes many pains to create nuanced characters on all fronts. Um, There's many different black women that are cast in the film. They play all sorts of different characters um, from the ex-girlfriend of um, the prisoner, um, Anthony Woods, which is played by Aldous Hodge, to the mother of the police officer that Anthony Woods has been convicted of killing. Um, It's a really interesting take on on showing empathy towards all different types of people in one story.
4: Mm. Just uh, to echo what both you guys said, I love the film. And what I love most about the film is that the ending, it kind of opens the debate for discussion about capital punishment. It doesn't necessarily offer any answers, but it just gives us a really um, in-depth portrayal of this woman and also her colleagues who are being affected by the system and not necessary and, and and what's cool also is that you don't really know whether the inmate in question is guilty or not yeah so to have a film that kind of opens those dialogues, I think is very important. And I think another, like what you said, was the cinematography is very strong, very controlled. Mm. Um, He's a New York cinematographer, Eric Bronco, who I've been following from Tribeca and and in short films. And to finally see this as his first feature is really an amazing Mm. achievement. Also, the music is really great at the end. The music throughout the film is wonderful, but at the end, the original song made by the composer um, is quite stunning as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree.
3: I also, just to speak on the editing a little bit, I would say that a lot of times it's considered that it's a really, really slow film. But I think that's so um, important to emphasize this, like, looming deadline that all Mm -hmm. the characters are approaching. There's a lot of, like, repetition of clocks and, like, heartbeats and just this dread that is built that uh, oftentimes, like, you're overwhelmed in the theater watching it. Like, let's move it along. But that just shows, like the moment that they're all afraid it's coming, inevitably. Yeah, it's a very deliberately suffocating film. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great yeah. way of putting it.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and and just feeling the emotional suffocation, the emotional, like, stifling and, like, self repression that, that Alfred Woodard's character has to do and kind of put everything in this, put all her feelings in, like, a lockbox, basically, and, and you know, not not let it out mm-hmm. um, in order just to stay level about yeah the kind of almost untenable responsibility she has. It's its almost like a job where it seems like it's one of those jobs that you're guaranteed to burn out because it makes you do something, uh, and she really conveys this well, that is is—is ultimately maybe a little at odds <laughs> with, with being, like, I don't know, f- fully present all the time. I mean, I guess a lot of jobs are like that, but...
5: Yeah, I mean, I, Deaf, it's, and it's not just her, mm. but it's like yeah. everybody else in the it's system true. and yeah. what forces them to leave too. Right. Because the film also really interestingly, I think, takes deliberate pains to, even though what happens is so specific, like from the checklist that mm. Alfie Woodard's character has to go down um, to like the specific, you know, stylization of the TV's news channels that she watches at night. But it's also like, yeah like very anonymous like the name of the state is never mentioned we never know where they are Um, we don't know who the governor is although I think the governor might be at one point Bernadine is calling some woman on the phone it seems to be the governor but it's never really Mm. clear right Um, what exactly is going on. They keep referring to a director of the prison system who's never named. And so like all like real positions of authority are nameless and faceless and everybody else is just being ground into the dust.
3: I really like the detail of when often she's like lost in thought in the execution room and the guy who is supposed to I forget what his role is, but he's like he calls her out. He's like warden, 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 and she never snaps out of it until he uses her name, Bernadine. Right? She like is so lost in the thought of her role that like she yeah. just has really has to has to connect back to her identity to like come back out from this terrifying thing she's doing. I have it twice yeah a couple times
4: by her name um he he, uh, she's only responds to her full name not her title Mm. and i think that also speaks a lot to our um our society and where we are now too it seems like her as a woman of color who needed to probably assert herself in a male white dominated profession she's very stoic and she's very like by the book you know there's there are moments where people are pleading with her or victim families are pleading with her saying you know can you allow this member of family to come witness or can you allow this person on the guest list? But she's like, no, I don't make exceptions for nobody even though the victim's family tries to plead to her humanity. You know, you must have kids, you must know what it feels like. And I think, you know, today when you have executives or leadership that are, that may be women or or marginalized people, um, they probably had to assert themselves also to, to, to fight for their positions. Mm -hmm. So it's not easy to leave that, you know, and everyone's asking her to retire and everybody, all her colleagues are retiring or all around her and she just doesn't seem like she wants to give it up, you know, and, and maybe the film is also asking like, what conditions are the, are the people working in capital punishment in the criminal justice system? Like what conditions are they subject to? And like, how, is there a way to remedy those or to fix those, to fix those situations or offer more resources to, 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 to help that?
2: Mm. Yeah. Definitely, um, I mean this is it's. There's so much more you, you can say about it. I guess they are positioning it for the end of the year as an awards movie, a uh, neon. Uh, so that's that's going to happen. <laughs> but it's almost nice to see it here, be able to talk about it in this in this way rather than as like another horse in, in a race for things. Um, and I don't know. I, I was this whole time. I was also trying to remember the name of the oshima movie that's about capital punishment i don't know if anyone remembers you know there's one from the 60s and it's kind of takes more of a like basic like dark absurdity of of, you know approach to it um which it's really well done in that movie but i think trying to do that again would have felt like a cop-out in a little way and this this clemency really feels like a movie that's able to steer directly into the hard stuff um but I can't remember what that movie's called.
4: I, I thought of a film, um, maybe I'm wrong, but A Time to Kill with Susan Sarandon. Did, did, oh, uh, they, yes, I was exact, thinking of stuff exact. like that, you yeah, know, like yeah, that yeah. kind of film or that like that story, and then having mm-hmm. a woman kind of yeah. like leading that and, and trying to navigate through her view. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, definitely.
2: So let's pick a movie that's entirely different. What would that be? <laughs> that's that's Is, is, is this on, the time
5: on, to talk about Genesis?
2: Maybe, perhaps, like <laughs> <That, that, that>, like <laughs> That is pretty different. Um, that's, uh, so Genesis was at Locarno last August, and this is a Quebecois filmmaker, Philippe Lesage, right? And so who, who wants wants to start? Rosa, this is a movie that you l- liked, right? I loved. You loved, right, okay. loved. <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> um, well, I guess love is a strong word, considering I do have certain um, mm-hmm. hesitations about it, but overall I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it follows um two siblings i believe they're step siblings um and they are navigating this like really Um, complex time in young adulthood Um, one is a young man who goes to an all-boys school and he's coming to terms with like his sexuality Um, and then the other is his stepsister she's I think post-college in the dating scene in the most negative sense of the word (laughs) you know like it's it's her trying to navigate these relationships and her first kind of trials with adult men if that's a good enough summary and then there's a second part to it but i don't know if we sh- well
5: yeah i mean the the film essentially is in it has like three threads mm-hmm. and it weaves them together in in quite interesting ways um i think in ways that i mean the the title like i think helps us decide what to do exactly with the different threads but i mean for me I I love this film too, although I also have hesitations that I think are extremely divisive. Um, Actually, a friend... So Rosa and I were sitting right next to each other when we watched it, but two seats down, I had another friend who was actually shaking with anger during certain scenes in the film, um, which I think we'll talk about in a second. But for me, what was really special about this film was that it treated young love extremely seriously, Mm -hmm. with not just um, in a way that was kind of about the... The life or death quality like the fact that this starts encompassing like the entire worlds of all of the characters but also with like emotional weight in a way that I really felt physically there are moments of secondhand embarrassment um, moments of deep courage or foolishness um, by the characters um, that I literally could not watch and had to shield my eyes from in the theater and whenever a film provokes I to that, yeah, that type of emotion <laughs> it's something that um, yeah. I do admire quite a bit because it means that to me I've been very invested yeah
4: yeah um, to echo what you guys also said I love this film as well and what I loved about it was how honest and just what a true portrayal of discovery of love and feelings really really means to to young people what I really liked also is how um, you know uh, I don't want to get too much into detail but sometimes we we put ourselves intentionally in positions where we know may not be the best for us. And I think the director spoke to this after in the Q&A, but, um, you know, sometimes, like, there's a scene where the, the main, one of the actresses, the main actress, she's, leaving her boyfriend who she like just broke up with. And then she's like driving and she's riding her bike home in a really beautifully beautifully shot sequence. And then she kind of like does a U-turn and heads back to his apartment to see him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she gets a surprise when she's there. But I know that feeling of like, going back even though we know it's not good for us and I think it's easier when you're a child or when you're young because you're still very anxious to kind of live out these emotions and see these emotions through and there's a little bit of a fearlessness to your actions which is what the director spoke to but it's not pretty you know and (laughs) and what happens sometimes is not the best and it's scary and we learn from those things and we will keep those moments like hidden and secret in our life probably which maybe she will or will not do but you see how it takes a toll, and how we will look for those exciting moments, and even if they may be detrimental to us, but shows to like the naive to how naive and and just how um, how eager life one looks for life when one is that that young, and I think it was really spot on. Yeah.
5: I do think that the controversial thing about the film is in this its specific structure and kind of the depth of like what we were just talking about, how much you can see in each of the three threads, um, because the structure of the film is in the first... So it's, it's slightly over two hours long, and in about the first 95, 100 minutes, it really alternates between um, the characters of the two step-siblings, Guillaume and Charlotte, and Charlotte appears to be the older one. It's actually a little bit vague. Like she's, I think, already been through university. It's a little bit vague her exact age. Um, and Guillaume attends um, this uh, private all boys boarding school. Um, and I do, I do find it interesting um, when I was watching because it did disturb me at first um, that. Guillaume is allowed to have kind of this rich inner life he has the gift of literature Um, he has like all of these other activities that he does um, other than kind of pining after his straight hockey playing buff best male best friend Um, whereas Charlotte is shown um, she's introduced in the context of the boyfriend that she's currently dating. Those are the vast majority of her scenes other than her going to parties with friends. And at one point, actually when she's walking down the street with her like three other um, female friends, it's literally not subtitled. Um, so like as like so for English speakers, it's literally like what they are saying is not important in a sense. Mm. And I do think that the film, because it alternates between the two characters, it does set up this expectation for a direct comparison. And I think, like, for me, I had to watch the film without making that direct comparison, or I do think I would have been very disappointed.
4: Hmm. Yeah, no, um, I, I felt the same way. I think when I when we were watching the movie, I actually turned to uh, Rosa and I was like, what's going on? Like, did I miss something? When I, when I got to the third part, and I think, yes, like, in, uh, in a typical uh, cinematic framework you would think the third act kind of has something to do with the first two acts and i don't want to give too much away but it it really it doesn't it doesn't
5: i mean it just goes completely to different characters they're younger technically speaking um yeah it actually even appears that maybe it's jumped forward in time or something like that
3: But in that same way, I, like, really, even though they're younger and they're in a much more romantic, like, this is summer love, it's a summer camp setting, I really appreciate how it doesn't belittle, like, the importance that we feel those moments are. Like, I will never forget, we talked about it a little bit, like, we'll never forget the first time you hold someone's hand, and, like, it's everything that scene is is so good (laughs) and it's one of those things that it feels sweet looking back on it but those are the things that shape us when we become older like when we're adults that's what made us who we are and it eventually like these kids are, are going through it and then um the the teenagers that we follow later go through it but they're going through it with consequences now like there's as you know I don't know how much we want to say about it but there are very serious consequences to like these acts that Mm -hmm. still feel very tender um when they are and they can become really scary really fast like the older you get I mean do you think this is ultimately a cynical film that's my
5: question
0: Hmm.
4: I wouldn't say 100 percent cynical only because the way that the um portrayal of that very young love is so yeah, And real. that's why it's
5: important it's at the very end yes. after everything bad right. that happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Because
4: at the end of the first two parts you're thinking, oh my God, like these coming of, this coming of age story is so sad. Like you know, it's depressing. They've overcome overcome a lot of obstacles. But then it goes back to like their young, this young, beautiful love and it's tender and it's innocent. And it's interesting too because like there's a lot of moments where in the first two halves Uh, Guillaume and Charlotte are kind of, like, going by themselves. Like, Charlotte takes her bike. She goes to where she has to go. Guillaume, like, does his thing with his friends, like, by himself. But... In the third part, the in the in the summer camp where they are, they're kind of directed like, okay, boys go this way, girls go this way. So there's like a lot of hand-holding. Uh-huh. And then, but knowing what we know for, as the audience that we've just seen the first hundred minutes, we're thinking like, oh my God, no, like these kids are going to have to go through the same scary stuff. <laughs> and they're so young and beautiful now, you know, But and, and <laughs> it's, it's scary. And, and another thing that I want to say about the ending, and some audience members actually asked the director straight up at the end of the film, mm. what did that mean? What did you mean with the third end? What were you trying to say? Mm. But um, I, I think like if you just allow it to live by itself and then you kind of think about it after and, and like you said, Abby, like n- don't pay too much attention to like the structure of it, but just letting it breathe, mm. you'll s- realize at the very end like how it all makes sense. And I do think the title has something to do with that and, and it reaffirms that kind of like cycle mm. perspective. but all in all, it was like a tremendously beautiful film. Yeah, it was. You yeah.
3: just say something about the song that they keep using. Uh, it is such a beautiful, <laughs> like cheesy so... pop song, but it's so well done. Oh, yeah. Like it's well, maybe cheesy and pop song isn't even the right terms because I just loved it. Like every, it was like Charlotte's theme. I think every time she did something, oh, yeah. I'm just gonna play it all it's the time. Part, it's
2: part of the score. Or it's a separate pop song. No, no,
3: it. Um, what is it? It's
5: it is a seen. bunch
3: of kind it's of called outside. like outside sort
5: of period specific, but also atypical pop it was, song scene. Yeah.
3: It was released in two thousand fourteen, I believe. It's called yeah, Outside. But, but so it's not part using of its score. Like, flip phones Yeah and stuff like that in the film. And they uh-huh.
5: drive cars from like the nineties. Okay. So but then like the songs that are used are like not they're like way more contemporary, so oh, really? yeah, definitely. So it's really strange.
4: Oh wow! And I think, and, and the director even said, like, when you're growing up and you're a teenager and you're and you're finding love and these emotions and pain for the first time, music is also a big navigator of that and a right. big kind of supplement to it. And the music becomes that much more intense and real to you. Right. And that's how we all felt watching the movie. Like we loved the music.
5: I mean, what's also interesting about the three of us talking about this film is that we're all people of color who did not, I assume, attend boarding schools. In right. this milieu oh, right. is like so different <laughs> yeah. um, from from like my life, but it was done. I mean, the specificity I thought was genuine. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. Know, should we talk a bit more about the controversy? Because I do Sh- think sure. we're like we keep yeah. alluding to some people yeah. alluding to this, yeah. and I don't.
2: I think I think it's yeah. Let's let's let's. Let's, let's let's get it out there
5: yeah so I think the the biggest thing about this film is that there is a rape scene Um, that is one of the consequences that Charlotte has to go through Mm -hmm. Um, and along the way even up until that point and so Charlotte's shown making a series of bad decisions like at any point along the way she kind of makes the non-ethical or the you know the kind of shifty or sly decision and she doesn't really unlike uh, the character of Guillaume she doesn't really externalize or say what she's feeling. Um, So she's sort of shown reacting to things and so this um, rape scene does come at the very end of kind of the first 100 minutes in which um, her story and Guillaume's are intertwined Um, and it is not one that comes out of nowhere but because it's at the end of her story it does I think get read as like the consequences of her actions. So to me when I watched it Kind of, I the way that I connected um, with what happened to Charlotte was that along the way I felt like she never really had a choice. That like there were these societal forces that were buffeting; she never had a good choice. So to me, this was not necessarily a consequence of her action that like you know bad girls get punished, but it was just like the reality of the world that she was living in.
3: Mm. Um, I completely agree, and I appreciate that take because when I came out of the theater, I was mostly just really angry that they did that to her I was upset because I go back to this really specific example that Guillaume is shown reading all the time Mm -hmm. he has so much context to his life but Charlotte as you said she hardly has very much dialogue really she doesn't appear to care about anything other than the relationships with the men in her life and it was frustrating to me that the one female character or no there's a couple of other minor roles for female characters including like a teacher that they sexualize so much like they get her to bend down so she so guillaume can put his hand on her like it it just generally i felt really angry that not not really angry but just that was my main i was angry okay i was angry (laughs) but it was like my main that was my main hesitation with the film is that it did everything so romantically and beautifully and then to kind of throw in like i said such a harsh consequence it felt like a consequence when I first read it um to all of Charlotte's actions it it made me a little sad that that was the limitation that they put on her character um among all the other limitations of her character but I do appreciate what you're saying now it, it does kind of help shift that view for me that it wasn't her it was all of these outside sources of the men that did this. But
5: at the same time, like, what happens to Guillaume, like, the film doesn't go there, you know? Like, a lot of what happens to him is, like, implied. And he's still, like, the driver of, like, his own life.
4: Yes, Mm -hmm. I, I agree. But now that we're talking about it more in depth, I'm thinking also, well, Guillaume's kind of, like, still in boarding school, right? So he still has kind of the parental guidance. Then again, for Charlotte's kind of arc she's uh, you know an adult she's a grown woman she kind of goes out and explores and lives her life, you know, and she's going to go live her life with her friends. She's going to go get drunk. She's going to go hang out late. She's going to sleep with multiple partners because she's not in love with either one, but she's just kind of finding herself. And I think that speaks to her agency as a person, even though maybe the director in the story didn't give her a lot of, you know, um, growth or a lot of like depth in terms of like her perspective. But I think her just navigating the really scary obstacles of, of her, of of society would have been much more tragic if like it ended and, and she was just, you know, you know, she ended up being raped and then that was it. But she kind of like comes back home and she gets with her brother and use very intimate moment together. And I think that was kind of beautiful now too. Mm. But I agree. She had no like real depth, I guess in terms of like the Guillaume's character, but I think she also had a little bit more autonomy.
2: Mm. that I mean, that also makes the, the the final third seem you know, very important to the to the scheme of the whole thing to have a, a portrait of innocence at the end or, or idyllic maybe an, an idyllic portrait at the end almost like it's a piece of music or something where you, are, you have something that's really you know in, in, intense and then at the end you have a final movement that kind of reminds you <laughs> brings you to some sort of emotional home point again
1: Cinema Made in Italy and Magnolia Pictures present Dogman, a sly crime thriller from the award winning director of Gomorrah. Winner of the Best Actor Awards at the 2018 Cannes Film Festival and the European Film Awards, Dogman tells the story of vengeance in which only the strong survive. Winner of nine David Di Donatello Awards, including Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, and Actor, The Guardian calls Dogman a movie with incomparable bite and strength. Opens Friday, April 12th in New York and Los Angeles. The Film
0: Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Long Day's Journey into Night. An official selection of the 56th New York Film Festival, B. Gon's follow-up to Kylie Blues centers on a detective's search for a woman from his past and culminates in a single hour-long 3D tracking shot. The Los Angeles Times says it's swooningly beautiful and technically staggering, and the playlist calls it a flat-out masterpiece. Long Day's Journey Into Night opens April 12th in 3D at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and Metrograph before expanding to select cities.
2: Let's see. We have plenty of other... I mean, there are a couple of other films in the festival that might, just because of the topic we've been talking about, that might directly connect. But um, like the closing film, Share, comes to mind a little bit just because of... That's a film I think that also treats in in a... in a uh, in, in a way that kind of aftermath um, of uh, that sort of situation, um, but as people haven't seen Share yet, right? No, okay. They, I don't know why they didn't well, scream. All
5: good too, and the Premier premiere, which unfortunately I have not seen, right. but dearly right. want to.
2: Yeah, only coming from, not not to be like too literal, but because they both all these films seem very invested in in charting a, an independent path and autonomy and, and, and seeing how a person negotiates things. Um, but w- what if we um, switch gears a little and look at a film that's non-narrative perhaps or um, that's, you know, something uh, more hybrid-like um, to use maybe a taboo word. <laughs> for, I don't know how people feel about that. but uh, uh, um, As
5: long as it's not chimeric, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> what
2: does that even mean? Is- <laughs> Chimeraic, <laughs> redacted. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, new directors—you uh, know—in in the past few years has has been pretty fertile place for for the for finding movies that are on the forefront, on the boundary. In, in that respect, I mean, Fausto is one movie that that, that comes to mind for that. Um, I think, uh, I mean, Suburban Birds is also an interesting one and um, in how it's assembled.
5: Yeah, um, I mean, so I have seen both and I find both extremely interesting mm-hmm. um, with, I mean, we can start with Fausto, I guess, yeah. another Canadian director. Oh, okay. Yes, <laughs> um, although this one takes place, actually, I don't know where in Mexico, but it's on the coast somewhere. And it's yeah. like it takes all of the tenants and all of the the entire process of making ethnographic films, um, and recording folklore and making sense as an outsider researcher, and the 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 attempt at portraying a place, and it mm-hmm. puts it into this very mesmerizing, um, mysterious. Semi-fictional, but also not fictional because it's actual records of conversations that happened um, between, I believe, Andrea Busman, the director, her partner, the filmmaker Nicola Pareda, oh, okay. um, mm-hmm. and the two friends of theirs who I believe also make films um, who hosted them during the months-long shoot for Fausto on the Mexican coast. Um, There are, like, stories of the stars. and I mean, it's very unclear to me what in the film is the ethnographic research and what's not, which is very interesting because, like, to me as a documentary film programmer, I receive all of these things like in typical films, as facts, whereas mm-hmm. I really wouldn't know myself anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to, for this to be presented as as fiction or in this in-between land where it deliberately calls into questions those types of issues.
2: Yeah. Uh, this is a movie that is a little too foggy for me <laughs> to, to, to discuss. <laughs> not the movie itself, but my, uh, in, my in my head. I, I, watched it. I also watched it on The Link, so I, I feel like that's not really... Especially for this particular movie, you couldn't really submerge myself in, in into it. Um, but it did. It, I mean, it, for me, it just it seemed to fit into. I don't know. Is, is it wrong to say something like what is the, what is the Peach Pong's first movie? Mysteries.
5: Uh mysterious object. Mysterious at object. At
2: noon. I don't know. For some reason, it yeah. fell into that. Just this idea of like a a story or a myth that that shape shifts or evolves as you're watching and takes a life of its own somehow and becomes, you know independent of the people who are talking about it um, but also they become a part of it Um, it's it's also a very darkly moody film it's like it's it's sort of twilight in a way yeah I
5: mean there's so many scenes that are at twilight or just in sheer darkness lit by a campfire yeah
2: yeah yeah, which is its own whole atmosphere, and puts you in this whole space, literally, where you're just like just sort of making out things. Um, so you're always kind of, you puts you in this kind of state of heightened attention in, in, in a way. Um,
4: yeah, is it more avant-garde than it is narrative, or is it narrative with like sprinkles of avant-gardism? Like, how would you describe it?
5: Oh, um, I would. I mean, I guess this. My question would be, what what is narrative to you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> we, are, we are cracking open the, the, Crack the open topics a, here well, well I mean yeah.
5: because like I mean so many festivals also use narrative as a shorthand for fiction mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to like having a story because nonfiction films can also be narrative if right. that's their driving structure right, right. Um, this one has a vague narrative um, in the sense that um, the couple are like fixing up their house or they're renovating or they're trying right. to dra- like like building some sort of thing in the bay ocean i mean clearly the (laughs) film i i think deliberately doesn't care too much about it Mm -hmm, but is there a story yes um but the film very quickly kind of moves away from from keeping the audience updated on it Um, Mm -hmm. But in terms of each story that's told, it's not like you're seeing something extremely avant-garde in which it's like, you know, flashes of light and um, you can't understand what the people, the characters are saying. The stories are very contained within themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that in terms of watching it section by section... I mean, there are some incredible sections. Like, there are some like extremely philosophical moving monologues. Mm. Um, but in terms of how it all fits together, the film kind of leaves it up to the audience to make their own meaning out of the entire thing. Gotcha.
2: Mm-hmm. So what else? What else did we see? We're, we're we're not yet in the speed round per se, but yeah. but I, I want to make sure that we hit on other movies that, that pe- pe- people saw. Um, well, we've also um,
5: seen Long Way Home. Sebastian, yes. you've seen. Oh Joy. yeah, Long Way Home and Joy. Yeah, yeah. let's talk yeah. about. Uh, but you Long actually Way Home. have a connection with the filmmaker of Long Way yeah. Home that you told me about.
4: Yeah. So we also saw Long Way Home, um, the Brazilian title called Temporada, and. I went to see this film because Andre Oliveria, the director, I actually met him in Cannes about maybe like five years ago when he had maybe his first or second film at the Okay. Oh, cool. And I was lucky enough to see the film in the theater and then he had a Q&A and he was a young filmmaker, he was under 30, and my film festival celebrates 30 films from 30 filmmakers that are under 30 years old. And I was at the very inception of my festival at that time so I was thinking, wow, like this accomplished young filmmaker, he's international, I want to screen his film at my festival, it'll probably make a very big. Um, we have a big um, um, Brazilian community out here in, in Queens too, in Astoria. So wanted to screen his work. And I got, I got connected with him, screened his work out here in New York. We stayed in touch. And then now he has a feature film at the New Directors New Films. And to see his, his journey from young filmmaker to Having this festival, having a film here, it's been really amazing. And what he does really well is, is is portray Brazilian life in a in a more simple, mundane way. Because here in the states, we see Brazil, we think like City of God, you know, something like very exciting favelas, you know, beach, right. beautiful people. Um, but this movie is like the complete opposite. It's like almost I want to say like not a mumblecore type of story, but mm-hmm. like a very innocent, very very um simple and not exciting portrayal of Brazilian life and the characters are just so captivating and very like everyday people that you kind of connect and relate with them. And they're very funny because their humanity just mm-hmm. speaks to us. But Rosa, you were you were
2: nodding. Have you seen some of his earlier work? Or?
3: I have not, but I appreciated that kind of angle. I feel like a lot of films, at least um, from what I've seen in San Francisco, tend to kind of, how do I say it? like make foreign countries seem like other to a lot of American audiences. Like it's an extremely different place where there's carnivals and like, or extreme poverty or, you know, it is refreshing to hear a description of something that feels very like, um, I don't think relatable is a word, but um, something more um, down to earth. Yeah, so I just appreciated that, but I look forward to seeing it hopefully yeah, soon.
2: Yeah, and and wait, could you just quickly sketch out um, like this, the, what the general action of the movie is? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or?
5: Yeah, so the film opens on um, the main character Juliana, um, who's um, the actor is uh, Grace Passo, who um, learned in I learned in the Q and A or in the intro or yes in the Q and did stay f- for a little bit, um, that she's not only a theater, a stage actor in mm. Brazil, but she's also a playwright herself. So it follows Juliana. She's just moved to Belo Horizonte um, from like a smaller city in the area, and um, she's just gotten a, a job um, as the um, the fumigators. The um, Oh my gosh! What is it? This, dengue. It was the like a dengue, dengue, yeah, outbreak. inspectors. Oh, right, right. right, um, right yeah. So it's actually a f- I've seen a couple of films on on people who have this job because it is a very visually striking job when the fumigation, the smoke actually mm-hmm. happens. Um, but so so what's happened is that her marriage is deteriorating, um, and she's just moved to an entirely new city by herself. But she's thrust into this job that has a really strong um, cohort of coworkers, and they're really intimately involved in the neighborhood. So Mm -hmm. the entire concept of the film is extremely well set up to showcase this woman navigating all of her surroundings, all of her relationships, her dating life, her um, working relationship, and then also her relationship with the neighborhood um, that she's living in. And it's sort of... um, Over almost two hours, it's a portrait of her um, kind of finding her independence again. And the last shot is kind of this beautiful, evocative um, embodiment of that in which she's like found her spark again. In a way, this sounds really condescending, but the film really is not. Um, I thought it was just completely humanist.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean you mentioned all the different relationships and that network of things. I, I really like that and just how casually some of that is developed as well and 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 naturally, especially with kind of coworkers and and I, I it never it never really quite goes down the route of people becoming like, Oh, that's the funny one, that's the this, that's the that, you know, it it's a, it's it's a hard thing to get without it turning into like workplace comedy or something like that. So I, I like yeah. that part of it too.
5: I also found it really interesting because I didn't realize that this was produced by um, Films de Plastico, Plastic Films, Um, the same producers of Arabia. Arabi from like oh, two okay. years ago. Oh, That's interesting. Um, yeah. So I really like see, I mean, this is a really mission-driven production company then, mm-hmm. um, like really supporting like filmmakers in the periphery of Brazil mm-hmm. to make films about their communities and in a way that I find, yeah, to be, compl- I mean, these were the first films about Brazil. I mean, I clearly do not watch enough films set in Brazil, but mm-hmm. um, the first films that I'd seen that didn't have, like, complete abject poverty and, like, drug users or, like, a beach. Like, none of these films have any of those things.
2: Right, and and, and the sense of uh, being in transition and, and the road and travel, but mm-hmm. not as something that's, like, you know, necessarily romanticized. It's something you kind of deal with, the, like, kind of lived reality of, being in movement and having to keep everything in order and, and, you know, maintain all your relationships along the way as well. Um, there's there was one other movie um, that I wanted to make sure that we, we touched on just because it's, uh, yeah, it's it's been, it somehow sort of didn't really appear on, on like the festival radar for a while now, but um, I think it's gotten a kind of a new platform here a bit. Um, that movie is Joy, and I know... Sebastian, I think you start, okay, so take it away.
4: Yeah, so I I saw Joy on the second night of the festival. Uh, It's a beautiful, harrowing, immensely important work. And I'll quickly tell you the synopsis. It it follows a sex worker in Europe traveling from Nigeria and how she navigates um, sex trafficking, but also um, being a mentor to a younger sex worker who just joined them. And also how she is now like at almost at the tail end of her journey as a sex worker. And uh, it, it's just, it's it sat with me for a long time. Like the film really um, was beautifully shot and the characters are really amazing. But what I really loved about the film was that the director, Suda Bay, she's actually a documentarist filmmaker, um, I, 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 is my understanding. And she wanted to make a narrative film that had a lot of um documentary feel to it so she casted her actors as close to the real characters as, as she wanted to be so these were real sex workers oh, wow um the dp was there the cinematographer was at the screening and she and he was talking about how he had to light the scenes very um very broadly so that they could be ready for anything since they were not trained actors they had mm-hmm. to be able to shoot in like different angles or um, let the action unfold naturally because all these were um, Mm non-actors. But what really also struck me about the film was just the humanity of the, the, the portrait of this woman and how she had a really hard life. And now she's trying to, she's almost training a younger sex worker to, to navigate the, her life by herself also. But she says to the girl, like, don't trust me. Don't trust anyone. Like, I would steal from you if I needed the money. Like, you need to watch out for yourself. And the the, the younger girl, the younger sex worker at the time, she doesn't really want to be there. So Joy, the main character, she kind of shows her the ropes. And it's it's not like a good show you the ropes. It's more right. like this is how bad it's going to get, and it's going to get this bad. But you have to do your job and and stay focused on your end goal when, and, and focus on getting there because that's where you want to go and like help your family or help yourself. But it's not a happy ending, I want to say. But I think it's a film that's very important that we should all see. But And I think what's also interesting is that joy in a way is similar to clemency because you're getting this like in-depth portrayal of a character we don't typically see on screen or, or give a lot of time to show us their humanity. And I think it does a really good job of, of balancing that.
2: Yeah. Um, what's the kind of horizon for, for, for the characters in, in the movie? I mean, you were saying like, you know, it doesn't have a happy ending, but like what is the what is their ultimate, is there any sign of it's kind of escape or is it just kind of a resignation to this is the structure?
4: Well, okay, so Joy, for example, um, she, we are introduced to her while she's already in Europe. She's like halfway done through her um, paying back her debt to, to the madam and paying back her debt because they brought her here to, to Europe. Yeah. So she's about to get out. And basically, like her end goal is to leave sex working. You know, she has all the documents to, you know, fake documents to be a European citizen, and she just wants to get out of that sex trafficking life and like live her own life. She has a daughter she has to take care of that um, that that she has in Europe. So, but what happens? I don't know if I if this is worth to say or like the ending sure. or not. But yeah, like yeah. she she gets deported at the end, mm-hmm. and so at the end of the film, she's sent after all her like 10 years of like sex working in in Europe and going through all the drama she's gone through, she's deported back. And then the film ends with her starting back at zero, talking to a smuggler who can get her back to Europe. But the guy says you're going to have to pay back this amount of money and it's like an exorbitant amount of of euros that she's going to have to pay back. And you kind of go with her throughout the whole film, like learning how much money she makes in the night, how much money she makes in a few months. So at the end of the movie for that to like start all over again, it's just like – I'm getting chills talking about it right now, but it's just so sad. Yeah. But like – If you're going to create any kind of empathy or awareness for this type of work, this is definitely a film to do that because the way that you connect with the characters on a more empathetic level in terms of it being a traditional narrative instead of it being a documentary, I think is a little bit more powerful. And,
5: And then also the ethics of doing it. As a narrative, as opposed to a documentary,
3: mm-hmm,
5: mm-hmm. Um, because if you're filming a character in as a or filming a subject in, in a documentary that's actually going through these things, mm. um, I mean, I think that it's it's very ethically gray as a filmmaker to stand by and do nothing. Right,
4: 100%. And there, you know, there are, there is a rape scene also in this film that's not as hidden or just visually hidden as it was in Genesis because it was kind of dark in Genesis. But in here you don't necessarily see everything, but you see all the reactions of all the other sex workers that are in the room as the rape is happening. So this is giving you like a little sneak peek into what, uh, how the scene is set up. But it's, it's sad and it's, it's so hard to watch. But, you know, Joy, she's the mentor of this young sex worker girl who is getting raped and, she knows that she has to let this happen in order for the girl to understand what she needs to do to get out of this life. And just that structure is just so, so sad. Yeah. But
2: yeah, that, that is a, um, I don't know how to say completely. Yeah. (laughs) Destroying self (laughs) devastating scene basically. And the way they stage it. Yeah. Is that you're kind of in a room with like a boss, at like a, a, a desk as if he's at all some sort of, official type person (laughs) um and then you have a doorway in the background that is the room where where the prisoner i guess you'd say or or, uh, essentially yeah slave (laughs) is is in the back and uh yeah you hear just audio and sometimes you see a couple of men just and and it's terrible because it's it's this visualization of total and the half that character marginalization and just being in this box and stuck um and also for us total helplessness because you you can't even make out you and and everyone all the characters are resolutely in the room you're in and are not able to help so it's this terrible literalization of the entire thing
4: <laughs> yeah and and to add to that the boss is a woman the sex workers right. are women yeah and this is you know women like you know, hurting other women. You know, it's yeah. an interesting dynamic to see on screen. But yeah. I mean, um, it's played out every day. Yeah. You know, and and there's just you know, there, in a situation like that where um, you have to kind of look out for yourself. Yeah, it's that much worse. Yeah, I feel bad for like going off just now, but like
2: that's that's the reaction you had. I had in, in the moment. It's like this is terrible. So um, yeah, this is a movie I will have to finish. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: um, if I can just ask yes, really quickly, please. um, I'm just curious about the ending for the mentee, I guess, for Joy. I wonder, because it sounds like Joy had a really um, completely dark and um, tragic restart to everything. So I wonder if there's any sense of, like, hope for her. For so the for other,
4: the, young- yeah, so for the majority of the film, um, Joy is kind of showing the mentee, the younger sex worker, the ropes. And what's really... Um, awesome about that dynamic is that you see the young girl be very withdrawn in the beginning and then through joy's kind of mentorship she becomes very lively and she's like the life of the of the group of the sex workers Mm -hmm. she's the youngest you know and she's maybe the most hopeful and and joy kind of you could see joy seeing herself in her when she was younger Mm -hmm. um but after all that the girl the, the young girl is sent to italy To another like sex trafficking den, and they we just lose her story. You know, her story just becomes um it's just it's it's gone. And I think that also adds to there's no real family feeling in this. Everything is like you're on your own. You have to look out for yourself. And it it shows that really well in in terms of film. But I also think like this film is just so striking to me. I would have loved to see it open the festival Hmm. because it's just I understand Clemency is a beautiful film and it's also an amazing work of art, but I feel like joy in terms of like showing that perspective in, in like something that maybe we're not so used to. I think it's it's mm. it's very exceptional. Yeah.
5: Clemency was an interesting opening night film in the first place because yeah. you walk true, out right, with right. no hope. There is a spoiler in case you couldn't tell. No clemency um, <laughs> spoiler, in this <laughs> spoiler
2: for clemency. There is none. <laughs> no,
5: there is none. <laughs> um, in this film, everyone's lives are devastated. If not snuffed out um Mm -hmm. by the end of the film and to walk out of that and into the opening night party was like whiplash um to be (laughs) completely honest i got to the party said hello to some friends and then couldn't really handle it because it was like what is wrong with my life that i could walk out of a movie like that and then start drinking right right um so um but i mean i understand that you know it's the grand jury prize winner at sundance um so it's gonna sell a lot of tickets yeah
2: no for sure from a festival programming programming standpoint standpoint Standpoint, right yeah yeah Yeah, it's yeah that's that's it's it's always difficult navigating that transition from the world of the film
4: it says that joy has is a netflix release so hopefully it'll be on netflix soon
2: thank you for pointing that out because that is i think the reason why it sort of fell out of out of view um and so that is some i'm not sure if it's available now but that does Mm -hmm. mean that people will be able to, uh, yeah, experience. I will be able to catch up with it finally. Well, I think we're sort of getting, gotten to the end of our, our time uh,
4: talking about the movies. Uh, any, any final thoughts from anyone? Or? Um, I just want to say that what I loved about this festival most is that, like you talked to this yesterday, Abby, some films don't have distribution yet. you know. Mm-hmm. So this is really the festival where you can m- prioritize the films that don't have distribution because all these films are amazing. Like The films that we've seen so far have been just, One of my favorite movies of of all time, but also um, just so important and timely. And I think that this festival does that really well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
3: And if I could just attest to that, um, but from a different perspective, that this is my first time um, here, um, you know, just being from San Francisco and like knowing from my personal experience on the Mm -hmm. limited range of festivals, I'm really excited that I got to attend this and see um, such a fresh perspective um yeah. and i hope i get to see all of the movies here <laughs> yeah
2: yeah um and actually you're are you going right back into a festival then effectively yes the san
3: francisco <laughs> international film festival starts on april 10th through the 23rd um we have a couple of sf film supported films in this festival oh, yeah. um honeyland and midnight family mm-hmm. um, which unfortunately i haven't seen yet but i've heard or good if yeah people want to watch it.
2: we we yeah we, we we talked about those a bit on the on the, on the sundance podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, those are also both very differently powerful films and, and really great films. I love those films. Um, and I think uh, that brings us to another discussion Or Abby did you want to shout out to a film or anything um,
5: there's a couple of films that I do want to shout out to yeah. I'm crossing my fingers that Suburban Birds will indeed be able oh, to right. keep the Friday Metrograph opening we're recording this on um, Tuesday April 2nd right now <laughs> uh-huh. um, I think that um, the film it's very intriguing I've but I mean, I think what's going on right now just attests to how difficult it is not only to make and fund and finish films in China right now, um, but to also navigate the censorship board and what's going on. I guess I'll leave it at that. Mm. And then also a couple so there are so we are also because we're recording this on tuesday there are some films that haven't shown yet at the festival that's true can i just say which ones i'm really excited to be watching yeah so (laughs) zhu shengze's present perfect which won the tiger award at water dam i've seen um, clips of this film extremely intrigued and excited to Mm -hmm. watch it and it I missed, unfortunately, the screenings at New Directors, New Films, and then for me, The Plagiarists, another right. one that I need to um, finish. Thank you, uh, James, for giving me a link yesterday evening. <laughs> um, and then also um, the world premiere, End of the Century.
2: Um, end of the century. And a- is yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and end of the century, a, a world premiere, which is kind of neat for, for for new directors as well. Sebastian, do you have any, you want to, or I I saw you paging through the, but we're we're good.
4: (laughs) I mean, I'm really excited to also see Savage Wild. Okay. I heard that was a great film. I can, and, um, Midnight Family. I'm actually really interested to see that. Um, It's like a documentary, I believe. Yes. But it seems like a really interesting person. Yeah,
5: I mean, I think you'd be really interested in watching it because it is um, essentially a one-man crew. Luke and the director, he shot everything, um, including operating multiple cameras at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I did tell Nick this earlier, but the beginning really reminds me of Nightcrawler with all of the um, ethical morass and problems that come with like the for-profit you know whatever
2: yeah cool well that concludes our not-for-profit discussion um at the, <laughs> <laughs> probably the lamest segue i've ever done <laughs> um but i just want to thank all of you for a wonderful discussion for taking your time to come here i really appreciate it thank you thank you
5: thanks for having us
2: you've been listening to the film comment podcast with music by greg eingy you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.